The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fifty-one plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey there, sports fans. Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Sports Drink and our eternal friends at Spotify Green Room. Yes, they used to be called Locker Room. No longer Spotify Bottom. Now they got that paper. Spotify Green Room is a revolutionary app that is really changing the name of the game of audio fandom, where you can come in and you can join your favorite rooms dedicated to your favorite shows. I don't know, hint, hint, maybe a you know, Locked on Braves one that we tend to do on Thursdays, I don't know, at 9 p.m. Maybe you just want to go around and meet some new baseball fans who like to talk your favorite baseball sport or baseball player or whatever. You'll find rooms all over Spotify Green Room. Just download the app on iOS or Android, and you can start having a great time. Make a profile, link it to your Twitter, or just follow along with ours so you can be kept up to date whenever we go live. We tend to do them once a week, most of the time, uh, on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Spotify Green Room changing the name of the game. Okay, so we have been waiting to do one of these episodes all season long. But Doc, the Braves are finally, not just over 500... But finally, they've made their first run of the season. And my goodness, the weight that came off of my chest. I've got how many times? How many times did we, did we say? How, it's inexplicable. How is this team still not going on a, a good run? And you get the right guys in there. And, you know, we're just one, one bad inning away from being on a seven-game winning streak right now. We're recording this about... 20 minutes before first pitch on Wednesday. So as things stand right now, I mean, it's it's the first time all season where I felt good about all facets of the team. Uh, they all seem to be currently clicking for the most part. Um, lineup's doing well. You, you're, you've got some depth in there. Guys are coming up in big spots. The team goes down like two to nothing and it seems like they don't give up in the fourth inning, so everything's coming up Millhouse right now, man. I really am enjoying myself. I don't know about you. Ooh, it has been so much nicer to watch, and somebody like me, you know me, I wasn't super enthused about the position player ads at the trade deadline, but they have all been 
fantastic. They've all done a, a great job, particularly Jorge Soler, who if you had expected him to come in and just dominate, I think everybody would have called you a little bit crazy, uh, seeing as how he'd gone for the last year and a half or so. But you want to talk about a guy that has come in and completely changed the narrative. He crushes everything he touches, and it is so much fun to watch. And I'll tell you what, he's been a lot better in the field than I expected him to be. Yeah, same here. I was I was under the impression that he was like Matt Kemp level bad in the outfield, and and he hasn't been elite or anything. But for somebody who stepped into Ronald Acuna's shoes, I'd say he's done a pretty decent job so far. And his at bats, his his at bats are what impressed me the most because they seem to be very. He he knows the strike zone very well, and he knows himself as a hitter very well. And he he just seems to be able to lay off that pitch. And I I don't know if being able to play in the field has kind of helped him out. There are some players that have talked about how it's harder for them to purely DH than it is for them to hit when they're actually playing a position. You feel more involved in the game, and it flows a little bit more naturally. Maybe Solaire's just one of those guys. Whatever it takes. You know, uh, it's still weird to me that there's no DH in the National League, but if uh, if this is paying off for right now, and there's no guarantee that he's going to continue to ride this. I mean, you saw how big the sample was for uh, when he was with Kansas City, and he just seemed lost. And I know, I know he turned it on right around the All-Star break, so we got the best possible version of him. But regardless of whether the results stay up, he's one of those guys that can hit you five, hit you on 500 feet, regardless of whether he's in a deep slump or not. And it's just kind of the name recognition and that, that good, uh, warm, cushy feeling that I get when he comes up to bat, as opposed to somebody like Haradia or Almonte. You know what I mean? That, him, that goes a long him, way. Uh, putting him in front of Freddie is a really, really smart move. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it kind of guarantees that he's going to see some fastballs in that at bat. And what that's going to do is it, help, it helps him to be and make the most contact possible. It's like when you look at his StatCast data, it really does. We're going to talk about StatCast data a little bit today because it's our yearly episode where we're going to talk about that. But when you do look at his, you can see he hits the ball hard. And when he hits the ball at his max exit below, it's harder than just about everybody. His hard hit percentage his hard hit percentage is in a higher percentile than his average exit velocity. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean he he can always mash, and he he's one and a half percent of the time that he makes contact. It's over. It's ninety five miles an hour or more. And th- this was who the Cubs thought they were getting when they when he um, uh, when he defected from Cuba. So, you know, he never really put it all the way together. You could kind of see it a little bit, and then when he went to Kansas City, that's when he he went on the tear in twenty nineteen. He he led baseball in home runs. He had forty eight, if I'm not mistaken. So yes, he did. Yeah, I mean he's he's kind of notorious for the power. I mean it's that's that's you, the, the marquee thing. thing. About him, he really doesn't strike out all that much. Twenty six percent on the season. He's been an excellent addition. Adam Duvall, we always got to give props to Duvall. Um, you and I were both on the train of we were fine with them not bringing him back, and and both you and I together were we're both of the mindset that he's similar to Jock Peterson. He's not like a key piece. Like he's not like oh I made a superstar addition, but he just. He fits this ball club so well. He fits the clubhouse well. And I'll tell you what, whenever the Braves look like they're about to establish momentum, like when things start to, to kind of go right, you get a couple people on, and Duvall comes up to the plate, he is so good at taking hold of that shifting momentum and just throwing it into overdrive. That's when he always hits those home runs. It's always right as the Braves are starting to build a little bit of momentum, Duvall comes up and just completely capitalizes on it. And it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, and and that's that's part of the reason why I think both of us wanted him back. I mean, we we saw 
we saw it last year a lot when he was given regular playing time uh, to see what he could do. I think that was that was um, such a struggle for him for for his first little bit of time here is because he just couldn't he couldn't string anything together. But now, I mean, after his his solid 2020 and rough start to his 2021 with Miami, but uh, early May or so is when he really turned things around and and now it's it's like all of his hits that he's. He's getting her humongous, and they're they're putting us in the lead. The the one against uh, Sonny Gray last night. I mean, he, Gray looked basically unhittable uh, up until up until Duvall uh, came up and and uh, tied the game. So it was um, that's just another one where even it's just the the name, it's the general threat of it, right? Like even if he's hitting uh, two twenty five, I don't know exactly what his batting average is, but it's not high. But you know. You don't trade for Adam Duvall for singles. You know you you trade for home runs, and that's somebody that. Once again, Heredia, Almonte, how many home runs did they have combined this year? Like six? Nine? Yeah, many, not, many not many. Uh, I think he had like four or five. Okay. I think he was ca- carrying eight, the weight. Eight or nine, because uh, Guillermo had, has four. Okay, and so Soler and Duvall have six home runs combined in the past ten days. So that, it's just, when you talk about lengthening. Jock. By the way, Jock's not yeah. really hitting for home run power since he's come over even though we know that he certainly has that ability as well. Yeah. So there was a, a couple weeks, maybe three weeks ago, when we were discussing the the outfield of Heredia, Enciarte, Almonte. Shoot. And, yeah, just awful. And so Enciarte is no long, longer with the team, and it's entirely possible that Heredia and Almonte are both going to get sent out of town when Rosario and Anderson and Anoa are back. So... Those guys, and you, yeah, so you still got Eddie Rosario who's going to factor in. He's going to be a really solid addition off the bench. And since he's left handed, you know, he, that's, uh, that's another advantage for having him. If he's off the bench, that's great. Or if he's starting, that's somebody you can slot in the lineup probably in the six hole or so. So you've got options now. And that's something you just didn't have before. And, and you see what it's done. You see what it's done for everybody else that's on the team. And I just keep coming back to one heartbreaking thing is now that we're playing well, oh, man, wouldn't it be nice to have Ronald Acuna in the lineup? I miss him so much. But this is also one of those points that you and I talked about incessantly to the point where we probably upset a lot of people about why you and I both weren't giving up on this team because even without a Ronald Acuna, you and I were saying before that it's kind of crazy that a team that has Freddie Freeman and Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley was just packing it in. Like It's not like they don't have the firepower offensively to still be extremely dangerous. And what they've been able to do now is add length to the lineup where you're able to get the big boppers up in situations where they don't have to go deep to score the runs. And I think that that's, that's a big deal too, to allow your offense to at least get some guys on base for the meat of your lineup, the the guys that really give you runs. That's what the Braves have been so good at the last couple of seasons was not having to rely purely on the long ball. And and we talk about it all the time off the air, and people talk about it all the time, period. You're, the, the day and age where you could manufacture four or five singles in an inning uh, to, to score your runs, those, those days are done. It's not happening anymore. So you need to be able to do it on, on one hit or two hits or three hits or whatever. And to have the guys that can when they do get on base, they make the most of their contact. That's something that the Braves have missed basically all season. And even when Ronald was playing, most of the other team wasn't playing well. So that's one of the things that the Braves have been able to do very well. Even though they didn't really make any supreme additions offensively, it did give them one of the guys that I am over the moon about in Richard Rodriguez, who you and I both 
have been on Richard Rodriguez for a couple of years now. Uh, just a, a, a true anomaly in baseball. He's a real outlier. And it's one of those outliers that kind of sends a mixed message to, to members of the fan base. Uh, that ones that purely look at, at the batted ball data and those that purely ignore all of the, the batted ball data. Um, Rodriguez has been just as good as I expected him to be coming over. He's been lights out. Last night he ran into a little bit of trouble, but certainly wasn't anything major itself either. And I, I think he's been a godsend to this bullpen, which, by the way, has figured out how to be good again. I was not prepared for for the bullpen to to turn a corner. It, it, I mean, there were blown saves or and uh, just blown leads rather all over the first part of this season. And they've done a really good job of trimming the fat. You know, there's no more Nate Jones. There's no more Carl Edwards. Uh, no more Ty Tice. You know, they they seem to have a, a really good core right now. And Rodriguez, I mean, he he's one of two guys that, that started the season with the Pirates that have come over and just been fantastic. I don't think we've talked enough about Edgar Santana, particularly should, in the last... by the way, because you yeah. and I both talked about him also, about how in the second half of the year we expected to see a much different-looking Edgar Santana than in the first half because it takes a little bit of time to get your command back from Tommy John. We saw, we've saw we seen Jamison Tyone go through the exact same thing. Look up Jamison Tyone over since the All-Star break. Tyone has found his command too. Sometimes it just takes guys a little bit longer to dial that command back in there. And Santana, he, he's run into a slightly rougher stretch lately, but he's still been, he's been every bit as effective as he was in 2018 with Pittsburgh, which is the guy that everybody was hoping to get. And you got him for, for nothing. So very impressed with what we've seen out of the bullpen. Luke's been kind of wishy-washy a little bit, but solid overall. And for long portions of this year, he was the only semi-decent, reliable reliever. And Matzik. I think Matzik has been the big key for this bullpen, figuring out how to be Tyler Matzik again. Yeah, he's walking people, but I'm not Chip Carey. I don't care. Like To me, there's no difference between walking somebody and giving up a hit other than you're throwing more pitches to walk him. So, I mean, I don't... I don't care. The whip can stay low one of two ways. Either don't give up hits or don't give up walks. I don't care if it's one or the other. So I'm very excited to see that we've got Matzik back to throwing 97 and throwing enough strikes to really rack up those Ks again. We got A.J. Minter back in the fold now. And, uh, you know, he well, he did well. He, and he did he did well at Gwinnett. I know, I know that doesn't mean much right now at uh, – you look at some of the underlying way. stuff. You look Have at you some ever, of the underlying stuff. He's not. He hasn't been horrendous this no. year. It just feel, it just feels that way to all of us because when it goes bad, it goes so bad. Um, but also, it is a fair point that we're, when we've been talking about, and I fell victim to this too with Orlando Arcia, and I still love Arcia, and I still love his swing. Um, but the divide between the minor leagues and the majors this year is gigantic, and you can't. You know, it's to be expected after everybody basically missed a full season of development. Um, it's what's made Kyle Muller so impressive to come up to the big leagues and be better than he ever was in the minors. And this is, talk, speaking of Kyle Muller, we're going to see him tomorrow night. And tonight's starter, Tukey, this is a big game for Tukey. This is this is some stakes around for the Braves right now. 58 and 55, you know, you're you're a game back of Philly who's having to play the Dodgers, who we know are, you know, not really. They're like, they're like a Premier League team in soccer having to play like a U.S. team. For everybody else, it's just not really fair. Um, so hopefully this will be the one time that I actually root for the Dodgers this series. But for the Braves, you've got an opportunity to get a lot of different things going. You talked about guys that were getting back. Waskar Anoa, I think, will be back. He's pitched supposedly today. I don't know if Winnett got rained out again or not. 
Um, but Enola's going to be back very soon. Ian Anderson's probably a week behind him, maybe two weeks, but probably about a week behind him. Travis Darno got activated today. He's back. Minter's back in the bullpen. You're starting to look at a team that's at its optimal strength, and I feel I feel a little bit vindicated uh, knowing that Enola's coming back as a starter and also fully aware of how obnoxious I'm going to be when he comes back and just starts blowing people away like he didn't miss a beat. I'm I'm definitely hoping so. I mean, he was God. He was one of the few bright spots during the early part of the season. And when when he broke his hand, it was just kind of like, <laughs> of just, course, what else you can, know, what else can go wrong this year? Yeah, that was just that was just par for the course. But so what's what's happening now is like you you've got the bullpen has actually been so solid recently that when you're looking at the roster crunch that's coming. I kind of am not really sure what you do. This is why Tukey's start is so important, mm-hmm. right? These so, next two starts are huge. And because I don't think that you're going to send Kyle Muller down. I, I, I think that Kyle Muller spends the rest of the year with this team. Okay, so that's one less option you have to send to Gwinnett. If Tukey starts and he has a really, really solid start, then you make the case for a six-man rotation. Mm-hmm. If he bombs, you can send him back for Anderson or Inoa or Rosario, or whatever. I think, honestly, what they're going to wind up doing, I mean, because they're not going to get rid of Santana. They absolutely love Jesse Chavez. This could be the end of Josh Tomlin, by the way. This could be the end of Josh Tomlin, but I'm also thinking there's a possibility that both Heredia and Almonte both get sent packing because you can run with four outfielders. You're going to have Peterson... Soler, Duvall, and Rosario when he's back, and Adrianza can play out there, and so can Riley. If you I don't in think a pinch. they'll do that. I think Almonte would be the one that would go down because Guillermo's the only true center fielder on the roster right now. Um, so I, I think that he's kind of safe. I think they like Guillermo. He's good for the club as well. He's you know he's he's a good defender. He's not great, but he's you know he's he's one that you can throw out in center field and, and feel confident that at least a, a major league caliber center fielder is out there. So I agree. I think Almonte for sure is probably going to get sent down. Uh, he's kind of redundant now that you have Jock Peterson in there and you've got Duvall, who you're always going to leave him in there for his defense. You'll, you'll see them switch out uh, Jorge Soler if they're up late for Guillermo Heredia because Heredia is a better defender than Almonte. So just by the law of averages, Almonte and Rosario are both really bad defenders. But Rosario is, is better against right-handed pitching. Um, and, and he's a guy that he's probably, he's probably going to slot right into that role. I think that these next two starts are very crucial, actually, for both of the guys because I can make a case to where they might send Muller down. If Muller and Tukey are both pitching extremely effectively, I would not be surprised if they did send Kyle Muller down because there's still a couple things for him to iron out. He's kind of in that Tyler Malley mold right now where the results are speaking for themselves, but it's, it's a lot of work for him to get to those results. And I don't know, I personally, I would, I would have him up on the big league club. Personally, if I have to, he's coming out of the bullpen, so I've got a lefty throwing 99-100 out of the bullpen. Um, I'm perfectly fine with that for the rest of the season, but I'm in that same vein with Tukey. I think if Tukey pitches well and just loses out on the spot to Anoa, I don't think I'd send Tukey down. I'd slot him right into that bullpen. That was the plan at the beginning of the year anyway. It was for Tukey to become a big piece in this bullpen, and I still think he can. And I, I think that there's options as far as you know. Josh Tomlin is concerned. Tomlin can certainly go down. You don't need him and Chavez, and Chavez is just better than Tomlin. Uh, then you talk about Almonte for the other one, and you got you got to lose one more person uh, to to get 
No, I think that's good. So you got Kevin Smith, you got DFA today. That was for Minter or Travis? Travis is going to cost one more. That would probably be an Almonte or, or, or um, Tomlin. So then you're right. You got one more guy that's going to lose his spot on the team in order for if, if Tukey were to stay up. So there, there's still some roster decisions that I know the Braves are hoping become tough decisions. And it, this is one of those opportunities that you and I have talked about where a guy can be playing very well and still kind of lose his spot through no real fault of his own. And what a contrast for for the early part of the season. I mean, we've Thank gone this God. the entire season that one having like four or five players on the roster at any given time that deserve to to get DFA'd. And now I'm going, well, man, I really kind of don't want to get rid of so and so. You know, it's it's just it's just such a switch. So, um, you know, and mentor mentor being back, uh, you know, he's on he's on thin ice as well. So, yeah. if if mentor uh, falters, then that could kind of solve itself too, because you've got an opening for a lefty in the pen. You could put either Muller or Smiley out there, even though Smiley looked uh, looked pretty decent last night. So, good problems. They're they're all good problems. And but we did kind of bury the lead here. Travis Darno is back. What a blessing! Just by the fact Ooh. that he's not any of the other catchers we have had this year. And let me just you know say, I mean? I'm, I'm glad Kevin Smith is no longer on the team, but I also feel bad for Kevin Smith. I'm not going to lie. I do. By all accounts, he's a great dude, a great guy in the clubhouse, and even the way he responds to people that just crush him online, it does up my respect for him because I'm not a guy that really likes to crush people. I know that's shocking seeing as I seem to crush Dansby on a daily basis, but I would never in my lifetime ever send a private message to a professional baseball player talking about how horrible he is and how I hope the worst for him. So I, I'm, I feel a little bit bad for Kevin. As, as you know, it's not anything like he he knows how bad he was playing, and, and he just doesn't have the major league-level talent to, to not be that bad. And, you know, it's it, it sucks. That's the name of the game, but you don't have to always revel in it as well. So I don't have any animus towards Kevin Smith, the person. I know he gave everything he had as far as being a Brave. It just, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. It is crazy to me, however, to, to, to realize the fact and for all of you out there to realize that Kevin Smith, if you had grown up playing with Kevin Smith, he would have been the best player you had ever seen. It's, it's just crazy how the levels change in Major League Baseball. And for the Braves, even if Travis comes back and just gives you basic, basic zero F4 production, it's an upgrade. So for Travis, this is about as low pressure as it can possibly get. You can throw him up in the eight spot, leave him there. Everybody else in the offense seems to be moving along. The way. There's no pressure on Travis to come in and have to be a bopper like he was last year. If it happens, awesome. If not, oh well, he won't be any worse than what we've already had. And that is just another great sign for the Braves right now that they're one game back and are finally on that first run. This is that opportunity that you and I kept talking about all year where the Braves can make real headway really quickly. No doubt. And, and they... There's some opportunities built into the schedule right now to really take advantage of some teams that got decimated at the trade deadline. <clears throat> Nationals. Um, you know, you saw this past weekend, and like I, like I alluded to, that we are one bad Will Smith inning away from being on a seven-game winning streak. Unfortunately, uh, that bad inning came against the Nats. But we play them again this coming weekend. After that, we have the Marlins, who, who uh, made some deals. They got rid of Starling Marte, for one. They got rid of Adam Duvall, as well. Uh, and then after that, we've got the Orioles. So and the Jorge that, Alfaro with left field experience is not going well for them so far. Oh, God, are they doing that? I missed oh, yeah. that. 
Oh yeah, oh, it's, no. it's not oh, going no. well. But in no, good news, dude. old friend Alex Jackson is bombing home runs over there, so at least we're seeing him play some Mike Zanino level game. Happy, happy for him. He needed a new opportunity. And, and going going back over some of the the numbers for catchers this year, I was I had, sometimes when you see somebody struggling, you just all you say to yourself is, "Oh, this is bad," and th- and that's all you need to tell yourself. You don't actually need to look the numbers up, and then you you look the numbers up after it's over, and you realize, "Oh, this is so much worse than I thought it was." Right. Oh man! And so I was doing a little bit of research today um, on what Travis Darno would have to do to not just completely torpedo batting in the seventh hole. Before he went out, he was hitting two twenty, two fifty three, three forty one with a fifty seven WRC plus. And was worth exactly zero F war. I'm bad. like, man, that's bad. That's, bad. that's really bad. And he seemed like he was kind of starting to figure it out a little bit more uh, right before he got hurt. But I'm like, okay, well, how bad was it? And the by measure of F war, the worst brave this year has been Christian Pache at negative point seven F war. Second place, to the surprise of no one, it was Kevin Smith, negative point four. I was surprised by the fact that William Contreras was in third place, also at negative 0.4. Then it was Johan Camargo, and then it was Alex Jackson, another catcher, negative 0.3. And then after that, it's Stephen Vogt, another catcher, negative 0.3. Then you have Marcelo Zuna, Drew Smiley, and then you have Jeff Mathis, another catcher, at negative 0.2. So of the nine worst players on the Braves this year, five of of them were catchers, and four of those guys have had regular playing time this year. So if Travis Darno shows up and is nothing but a corpse, if he doesn't even swing the bat all year, he could probably draw a couple of walks and do better than five of the catchers that have been here. Jonathan Lucroy, who got nine plate appearances for the Braves, is the best catcher on this team this year. So... Very, very low bar for Darno. And he knows these pitchers. You know, a lot of these guys threw to him last year. And he's been in the dugout. He's he's familiar with all these uh all of the newer guys. I'm really looking forward to seeing Morton pitch to uh to Darno. I think that's gonna be just a treat. And uh and once again, it comes back to the name recognition thing. Even if Darno's hitting 220 with a 657 OPS, you know he can take you deep at any time, and you know he's pretty clutch as well. So um I, I'm alarmed by how optimistic I feel about this whole thing. Like, it, it just, 113 games into the season, and it feels like only now we're figuring out who the team is or is supposed to be. I've said it a million times, and somewhat ironically, like, of all of the teams that we had, like, in 2019, it looked like we were going to, you know, we could have beat the Cardinals, and the Dodgers lost, so we probably could have beat the Nationals in the NLCS, and we didn't. Last year, it looked like we really could legitimately make it. No, those those teams that were good enough to win, they didn't win. This team that is just barely held together, this is going to be the year we win the World Series. Somehow, they're going to get hot at just the right time. Solaire's going to hit 14 bombs in the NLDS. It's going to happen, dude. This is the team because it makes no sense. That's why. It would make the most Atlanta sense ever. But speaking of making sense, we do have to kind of get out here very quickly so we can get to enjoying the game and and watch Tukey start. But I did want to talk about this because it is our yearly time where we talk about all the incredible amount of data that is around for everything related to baseball now and how easy it is to fall into the trap where you start using the, the same, it's the what I would call the batting average fallacy, where you find one or two statistics and you use that for everything. Uh, we tend to do it a little bit more for pitchers because pitching is far more nuanced as far as 
how you're pitching to, to really relegate how good you're throwing. It's a lot more nuanced than, than people want to give credit for. Uh, obviously, you've got the guys that still think batting average is everything, and we've, we've detailed a number of times on the show just why batting average is so flawed. But it does happen with pitchers a lot as well, and there's no easier point to look at that than Will Smith versus Richard Rodriguez. And we've done it for a number of Braves pitchers. Julio Tehran was one of those outliers that, for years, always looked batted ball-wise to be a, a far worse pitcher than he was because he, he gave up contact that doesn't rate very well. There's always outliers in this, and Richard Rodriguez is one of those outliers. So I do want to talk about this because whenever I say on Twitter, in which people are very quick to let me know when I have a bad take or a good take, for that matter, um, but you guys are wrong, all of my takes are always good. Um, with Rodriguez, you do have to bear in mind the different styles of pitchers. I think that's kind of important when you're talking about StatCast data because there's so much data available. If you try to go too broad with it, you just end up getting this this crazy amount of information just flowing this matrix style just ones and zeros flowing past your brain and it can kind of dilute it for you just as if you look at one singular statistic for everybody one of the things that that makes baseball so different from every other sport is that there are so many different variables no one statistic ever tells the full story i think that that gets encapsulated with guys like will smith and richard rodriguez where if you look at their base numbers smith has pitched very well and you got you and i talked about this before the show uh, Statcast-wise, his batted ball data is pretty fine. It's not it's not egregious in any one particular area. It's not super elite anywhere, but it's not really bad anywhere either. And it, it leads a lot of people to, to go along the routes of, well, we just got spoiled by Craig Kimbrell. But if you're like me, and you're one of those that takes a deep breath every time you see Will Smith come into a game, you're also not wrong to do so. Because while it has worked out for him this year, Will Smith has had like a grand total of like four clean innings all season long. He's had one since like the beginning of July. It's absolutely insane the amount of trouble he pitches himself into and out of versus a guy like Rodriguez that really doesn't pitch himself into trouble at all despite the fact that his batted ball data can fool a lot of people. So, Doc, I really wanted to talk about this as far as StatCast goes because it looks like StatCast is really kind of transcending fan graphs as far as everybody's premier uh, stat place to go to. So I want to start this out by asking you, when you go to StatCast, because you and I basically live on StatCast, are you as guilty of it as I am, where you look at like three measurements and, and make your complete decision about a player without anything else involved? I mean, usually if I'm to the point where I'm where I'm looking um, looking up somebody's StatCast or even their fan graphs, I've, I kind of have like a preconceived notion in mind. Like it's, uh, I'm looking to confirm uh, something that I probably think already. Um, and I will go to great lengths to try and prove myself right in something like this. So Same I will look at, a, look at a lot of stats, right? So, I mean, I think that with the the visual component of StatCast is really aesthetically pleasing. I really like how it's got the sliders where it, you know, you've got, it shows you um, where you are relative to everybody else in the league. That's what I think is so important. I'm a big fan of um, like adjusted stats versus, you know, like the plus stats, you know, WRC plus, it tells you a hundred is the baseline. This is, you know, you know exactly what the baseline is every year. What the baseline, what, goes into making the baseline changes every year, but the baseline is always the same. It's always 100. So you always know percentage-wise how much better or worse you are doing than the rest of the league. And and that's kind of what you get into into StatCast as well. So um, you can you can kind of make numbers tell whatever story you want, but you need to know 
how to operate within them. Like, if you want to make the, the argument that Will Smith versus Richard Rodriguez, right? So, Will Smith is in the 70th percentile for average exit velocity. It's not bad. It's really not bad. And Richard Rodriguez is in the 14th percentile, which is not good. But also, you, you look at max exit velocity for Will Smith versus Richard Rodriguez, and the max exit velocity for uh, Rodriguez is in, the, is in the 61st percentile, and for Smith, it's in the 8th. So what this tells me is that Richard Rodriguez gets hit hard more often, but Will Smith got his ass absolutely handed to him. I know exactly what pitch got him in this, per, in this particular percentile. So you have to have the eye test that goes along with it too, which it says how often is somebody actually getting hit hard? And that's just for the top two that are on here. That's not even getting into hard hit contact. That's not even getting into the, uh, the exact exit velocity and what it is. I mean, you can, you can tell yourself any story you want with these numbers. And you also have it, to bear in mind the particular styles of the players. Like when we're talking about Rodriguez and you bring up his exit, his average exit velo versus max exit velo, you're talking about a guy that throws 90% fastballs. So 90% of the time, he's throwing the hardest pitch in his arsenal. If the pitcher's throwing the ball 93-94, hard hit, for it to be hard hit, it has to be 95 or above. If you're talking about the, the batter only needs to add one mile an hour or two mile an hour to get over that mark, it's not that difficult to do so. So you do have to bear in mind, whenever you look at these statistics, you have to bear in mind the particular styles of the pitcher. And as you're talking about with Rodriguez, the key for him is not the whiff rates or anything like that. It's, it's actually to induce the type of contact he's looking for. And yeah, he's a fly ball pitcher, which generally in today's day and age would frighten you if you didn't know the style of pitcher. And Rodriguez is a guy that has a very high spin, 93rd or 94th percentile spin rate for seam fastball that he throws up in the zone. He's really the perfect type of guy to take on modern hitters because a high-spin fastball, whenever people talk about a rising fastball, what they're talking about is a high-spin forcing. Every ball drops just a little bit, but the tighter and faster the spin on that forcing, the less it drops, which means hitters instinctively are trying to put the, the plane of the bat where they think the ball is going to end up. And when you live up in the zone, everybody kind of has that little hitch when they get on playing with the ball now. And Josh Donaldson does a phenomenal job uh, showing this in his YouTube videos and anything he's ever done on MLB Network. Um, when you live up like that, you're going to induce contact more in the bottom, bottom third of the baseball, which means that while, yeah, they might hit it 95, 96 miles an hour, they're not really hitting it at the, the type of, of degree, the launch angle, if you will, that they need to really do a lot of damage. And if you hit a fly ball to, you know, fairly deep right in front of the warning track and you hit it 97 miles an hour. Yeah, that's a hard hit. It's also an easy out. And that's one of the things that you have to bear in mind. Baseball is so crazy. It's why I don't use expected stats because there's just so many variables in baseball and there's so many things at play that it's, it's nearly impossible to apply them to a single player. And for Will Smith, what you talk about with him, his batted ball data is better than Rodriguez. The issue for Will is his margin of error is also smaller because he does not have good spin on any of his pitches, particularly after the sticky substance thing, but whatever. Um, but because he doesn't have great stuff, like actual spin rate stuff, the command is much more important for him. I mean, it's important for Rodriguez too, but for Smith, the difference is if Rodriguez misses, he's going to miss up 90% of the time, which is fine. You'd rather miss out of the zone, quite honestly. 
For Smith, the problem is he relies on that slider so much, and his is a low-spin slider, what we would call a sweeping slider. It doesn't have sharp break. It's just, it's got a lot of movement. It's just not very abrupt movement, if that makes sense to you guys. So the problem is those are the ones where you cannot really get away with a mistake. If you hang that, it's gone, and we've seen that happen. We saw Juan Soto do that to him. Um, but it's kind of the same thing as this fastball. It's like a 44th percentile spin rate for the fastball, so it's not really particularly anything special. So when he throws down in the zone, he's got to hit spots because hitters nowadays will feast on fastballs in the bottom of the zone. That's perfect for the way that they swing the bat. So just a little bit of nuance when you're looking at these statistics. As far as hitters go, David Fletcher is another perfect example of guys that are really outliers, and you really need to understand their game before you just pick the, the kind of stats that we all fall in love with, you got to know that particular player's game to actually appreciate how it affects them properly. And effective, excuse me, effectiveness comes in all forms and, and different people prioritize different things, right? So, so if you, if you're somebody that just prioritizes strikeouts above all other, I mean, you're probably going to look more so at Will Smith than you are somebody like Richard Rodriguez. So, and especially you can back that up with Statcast data. I mean, Smith has better chase rates. The the K percentage is you know K percentage is higher, whiff rate is higher, and you know Rodriguez is more of a pitch to contact guy. So, if you're somebody that just wants the big sexy strikeout all the time, then you're not necessarily going to prioritize somebody like Rodriguez anyway. For me, I'm just like. I'm looking at the walk rate. I'm look, like exactly. I don't I'm looking at the whip. Whip is what I look for for relief. Yeah, I love yeah. big K guys. Don't get me wrong. I love big K guys, but I actually care more about strikeouts as it pertains to starters than it does to relievers, because the starters having to navigate the lineup more often than not, and the less amount of contact you give up, the less you can be hurt. So for starters, I actually feel like K per nine is more important to me than for bullpen where I want to see weak contact and I want to see, I I love K rates like don't get me wrong I would gladly take I would have gladly taken Craig Kimbrell uh and I would gladly take anybody with elite strikeout rates I'm a big fan of Indigo Diaz for that reason but the other part of that is he also just does not allow a lot of runners on base which that's why for me whip is the biggest indicator for a reliever which is one of the reasons I'm so big on guys like Rodriguez who know their stuff and know how to pitch to their stuff cuz they're not worried about what they're going to do in the third inning or the fourth inning or the next time through. They only have to face a guy once. So it doesn't really matter if they make contact as long as you control the contact that they make. No, great point. That's a great point. And any way you cut it, the Braves are set up now. They've got somebody that they can use. Uh, they can play matchups in the ninth inning if they want to. Um, Absolutely. Snit, yeah, Snit brought in Rodriguez in like the fifth or sixth inning the other day to mow down the, the heart of the Cardinals order. And the, for the first time in the entire tenure that he's been the manager, I was like, oh my God, that, that is the a best brilliant. Game best game yeah. he's ever managed. Like, not even just on that. There was the pinch hitting scenarios were, were fantastic. When he was pulling people was correct. Like, that was, that was the best game I had ever seen Brian Snicker manage. Yeah, and so and when once again a point we made a bunch of times in the, in the early part of the last couple of seasons because Alex tends to run a thinner bullpen in the first couple months. When you get better options in there, you look like a much better decision maker. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So so th- for now, just whether whether you prioritize Rodriguez or Smith, you know, Smith is fine. He's an adventure. He's an adventure, and you know what. Sometimes we need a little adventure in our lives. Sometimes I would just like that to be against the second hardest portion of their order other than the, the most hardest. I don't, I don't know. But but whatever. It's fine. I actually am about to cut this episode short because you know what? I want to go see Tuki Toussaint. You and I, giving up for the people, have been doing this. And speaking of those people, 
Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope we can talk about how great the Braves are next week when we're sitting there in first place and looking to put a lock on this division and run away with it while the rest of the East, haha, <laughs> Mets and Phillies, have to go play ridiculously tough schedules. So, Doc, thank you, as always, for joining me every single week. And everybody out there, thank you guys so much. And we'll be back again another day right here on the Platinum Sombrero. You wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nail. You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run.